grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. That's the serenity prayer toward God or some deity or not. I think it works as a secular statement just as well. But it is about sort of balancing one's life in terms of action and stoicism. I want to talk about how we act in the world. And I'm feeling very stoic these days. I don't feel too angered or impassioned by any certain topic at the moment. I feel a little tuned out in life, kind of. I feel like I'm just doing my thing. I'm not too bothered to meet with so many people to have adventures exactly. I really like nesting. And I don't really care about the news, about politics. I have obviously been known to get kind of up in arms on my soapbox about various topics. And I know a lot of you are, well, I don't know if I can generalize. I know that some of you appreciate it and some of you don't. And I suppose I'm just leaning more now into this kind of acceptance of just things being how they are. And I want to tie in a few different philosophical musings here about serenity, about meditation, about existentialism, and wisdom. I suppose I want to just pick apart this serenity prayer. We all must embody some amount of serenity in our lives to accept the things we cannot change. Death being probably the most obvious and biggest thing. We're not going to change that. We're going to die. I'm not even fully cognizant of that reality. As I say it, I say it as a platitude because it's obvious, but it's very hard to sit here and really understand that I could be dead. But if I'm honest, I've gone through depression. I oscillate around clinical depression, or at least conditional uh, depression, pretty regularly in my life. And I'm in touch with suicide, which is a big scary word for most people. It's the only word, for instance, that you're not allowed to actually utter freely in therapy. It's the only word that I'll actually, well, it's not the only word. You can uh, ponder harming others too, which will flag your doctor's attention to actually report you. And that is what it is. My point is it's very difficult for us in life to ponder death honestly because it's such a third rail interpersonally because we rely on each other and thoughts of death are very private they scare we scare each other with these thoughts and that's not good i feel quite 
at peace at the moment, quite relaxed, quite even. I don't feel down. I don't feel suicidal. So I feel comfortable enough to address this idea of my life ending. And it's, it's, I think, natural. I think it's pretty easy for a lot of us to consider our deaths versus whatever trials and tribulations we face in life. It's like, do you want to bear the burden that life is giving you? Because you don't have to. You could just die. It is a way out, a very permanent one, but it definitely is. And um, I think that we have to admit that, you know, I mean, the context matters, of course, who are around when we're talking about this. But anyways, my point isn't to ruminate on death exactly. I just, I do want to put that out there as it's in the Overton window of the discussion, isn't it? Because it is the final state for all of us. So whatever bullshit we're dealing with, (laughs) we could just skip to the end, but we don't. And that's cool. I'm glad that we don't do that. I'm glad that most of us bear our burdens with varying degrees of stoicism and serenity. We accept things and we pursue and we just, well, not even pursue, we grind through life. The courage part to change the things we can is, I think, more appropriate in our times. We are kind of living through turbulence, change in the world. It's a protest era. It's an activist era. Um, Things are more chill right now, I think. I'm not totally sure of that. But definitely now that Joe Biden is president and Donald Trump is not, I think people are a little more chilled out. But we are still in a pandemic, so people are very conscious of that. And I think a lot of us aim to act with courage, bravery, you know, like I think that all of us probably do deserve some amount of uh, applause. That's not the word I want to say. Accolades for bearing through the fear-mongering, the real threat of disease or illness uh, to carry on with our lives somehow in some way. That varies wildly, of course, from the truly hermetic and hibernating types to the more uh, active and lively types, people that keep traveling that want to go out more, to the, let's be honest, the actual reckless types. Um, And even I could admit that there is a reckless contingent out there who are misbehaving, or rather behaving irresponsibly regarding social behavior. (laughs) Um, It's probably not the time for, you know, certain large congregations uh, indoor and unmasked, etc. But, you know, I'm not even sure how much that's true anymore. It's March 2021, one year into or out of, no, into, (laughs) 
the coronavirus pandemic and things are not looking so bad statistically we have a vaccine more and more people are getting it i feel like a year ago this was you know derided as an impossibility it was very unlikely we'd have a vaccine by now and here we are with like two or three or four of them but today's podcast is not about the pandemic but i just think it's worth noting i think i'll close with the the last verse of this prayer this the wisdom to know the difference it's worth noting how we practice serenity versus courage regarding the pandemic you know what does it mean which side is that on to stay home is that serenity or is that courage is that accepting the things you cannot change or is that changing something it's a little bit of both right it's accepting that there is a pandemic out there and that you can't really do anything about it but also it takes some amount of courage it doesn't quite seem like the right word to stay home to no longer go to your office for those of us that can do that um it doesn't quite feel brave to do that uh does it feel brave to go out into the world despite a pandemic I don't know if I would say that either, but it's something like that, right? If you know that there's a threat out there, but to go out anyways. It's hard to know what is wise right now. It's hard to know that. And I think I just find that interesting. I suppose I would say it is a little bit of both to recognize that the world is going through something, but also to recognize that your life has to continue on in some way. And this is the balancing act that we're dealing with, isn't it? And it comes up all the time. Like, I like to use a traffic example, being a Californian. When you're driving, is traffic something that you have to have the serenity to accept Or is traffic something that you have to have some amount of proactivity um, and courage to address and change? Now, I think most people, I think statistically most people are very passive, defensive drivers. I don't even know if defensive is a good word for it because it's not like people are actively on the defense. People are just, what I see in drivers is that people like to go their speed, which is often quite slow. (laughs) Uh, They'll find a car or not, and they'll just kind of camp behind them and even give distance. You can't go really faster than the car in front of you, Uh, but you can go faster. You can go as fast as the car next to you and then go around the car in front of you and I just find it interesting because I've been in a lot of cars with different people lately and I have to make an argument right now I have to stand up for myself as a driver who drives aggressively I drive like a big city east coast busy person I I use the left lane to pass. 
I get mad when people camp out in the left lane going slowly. I don't let a lot of distance between me and the car in front of me because that's what makes traffic even slower. I don't like missing the lights. I like at least staying in my cluster of cars to pass through lights. Uh, I don't like giving space for people to come into my lane because that doesn't feel very efficient either. People shouldn't have to change lanes if traffic was really operating properly, except for when they have to turn. And I think of traffic very much like AI might think of it. I think of it from a programming perspective, like how it should be running. And I think about it as serving the function of getting somewhere, not just sitting in this vehicle that will magically take me from A to B. I, I actively I actively want to participate in getting there. Now, a lot of people consider this, I don't know what, reckless, unsafe, not quite, but it irks some people, whereas I might get irked the other way. I think of slow drivers as being the reckless, unsafe ones and the selfish ones who prioritize their own overly cautious sense of well-being over the pace of traffic itself. Traffic is meant to move, you know? So I grew up loving the video game Mario Kart. And let's be honest, it's a racing game and a fighting game. And those aren't exactly what we prize in traffic patterns. And I'll agree, it's not a race per se, and it's definitely not a fight. But there are other things in that game that I learned that make a good driver. A good driver doesn't necessarily go fast, but a good driver knows how to turn, knows how to uh, drive efficiently, uh, knows how to actively um, employ hand-eye coordination and motor skills. And it's just funny to think about what a good driver is, you know? Is a good driver just a safe driver, or is a good driver like a really quality, uh, skillful driver? Is a race car driver good? Is Ryan Gosling in the movie Drive good? Because they're not safe, and they do go fast, but it's not because they go fast that they're good. It's because they know how to engage with the street that makes them good. So I just think it's interesting to like kind of reframe what we think of as good drivers. And I just, I'm, I'm on this little tangent right now because I think it's just so apt to this idea of wisdom in knowing the difference between accepting something and changing something. I don't accept being stuck behind a semi-truck on the highway. And I think none of us would quite accept that. It's the very rare beaten up old car driven by a very cautious, overly cautious, oblivious maybe person that stays behind a semi-truck when there's another option, when there's a second lane. So if you can recognize that it's worth passing the semi-truck who might go like, you know, 50 miles per hour on a highway, then I think you've recognized that some things are worth changing on the road. So where do you draw the line? Maybe somebody like me uh, aims too much at the courage to change the things I can. Maybe I can't actually weave through every car and hit every green light or find, like get caught up to every green light. Maybe that's too ambitious and maybe that's where I am less wise. But 
it's worked so far for me. I haven't had any problems actually in doing that, except for the feedback I get from passengers sometimes. And that's also a factor, you know, I think with the pandemic, um, feedback matters because we are in a society. And even though I'm saying in my podcasts lately how detached I'm feeling, how withdrawn I feel from certain political engagements, I'm still a part of society. I still have friend groups and family. I still aim to meet more people and build more connections. And that's why I'm getting tested regularly for COVID. I'll be surprised, frankly, if I end up getting it at this point. But in any case, our signaling does matter to each other. It's kind of something I'm still trying to learn to accept. I don't like how much signaling matters. I signal in traffic. I put on my turn signal. But I mean, if there's really no one behind me, why am I doing that? Then I don't. I signal consciously for the purpose of alerting someone of my intention. Wearing a mask is like that. I'm signaling to my neighbor as I walk down the street that my intention is to keep them healthy, right? But when there is no neighbor, who am I signaling to? That's an interesting question. When I go into a grocery store, there are workers who I am signaling, I care about your health. I'm going to do my part so that you don't feel threatened by me, even though I have a negative test in my hand and I'm 99% certain I'm healthy. I'm still going to signal to you that I care about you as a healthy member of society. It's not just a COVID healthy person, it's a social healthy person, right? But it goes too far, doesn't it? Where is the serenity in the overzealous person who shames everyone else for disobeying certain unwritten rules and regulations about masks or staying home or whatever? Where's that person's serenity? Is it courageous to point fingers and swear at each other about following the rules? Is that courage? Is that changing the things you can? Do you think that you're going to change me? by doing that? Do I think I'm going to change you in this podcast from somebody that might be more cautious into somebody that might be more daring? Maybe those are words that are more in my vocabulary these days. Grant me the caution to yield to the things I cannot change. Grant me the daring or daringness to change the things I might be able to change and the wisdom to know the difference, right? I think I might have some wisdom, but I might look like a fool as I'm doing it. As I, I mean, I ask you, dear listener, am I more of the fool or the wise man? I am happy not having a, a definite answer about that. I think it is the fool, literarily, who speaks the truth. And while I don't like to actually be the fool, act the fool, play the fool, or be foolish, I wouldn't mind being foolhardy and jovial and comical. I like the role of the jester. 
I'm not that entertaining as a comedian in this podcast format. This is obviously more of a ruminative, thoughtful exercise. But that doesn't define wisdom, does it? I think I could be spewing utter garbage (laughs) and keep the same tone of voice, couldn't I? Should I practice that? I'm not sure if I'm a good enough actor to do it. Um, I'll try it. I live in a house. I'm happy it's built on sand. If an earthquake hits and my house slides, who cares? Maybe it even crashes in on itself. It doesn't matter to me. I mean, that sounds pretty foolish, doesn't it? I think it also sounds a bit nihilistic. And nihilism, like stoicism, is a philosophy that I like and I wouldn't mind embracing even more. But it has its pitfalls. It has its drawbacks. Villains are nihilistic. Serial killers might be not nihilistic. It's dangerous territory, if nothing matters in the world. And to actively exercise one's free will or uh, agency into that world, it can be very scary if they if they operate under the premise that nothing matters. But if nothing matters, why operate? I think it's more often the case that the stoner do-nothing slacker is more nihilistic. We're all going to be dead one day anyway. What's the point? That's a nihilistic attitude. And yet, it's still true, but it's hardly the prime truth, right? It's hardly the number one thing to keep in mind when you wake up in the morning. It doesn't exactly inform your life for the better. It's simply a cosmic truth that is probably best left ignored most of the time. I suppose existentialism is where I land in between all of these philosophies because it really is the most subjective honest, honest in the sense that it admits its own subjectivity and our own subjectivities in the world. You know, it's one of these words that I take uh, exception with, like how people use the word literally to mean figuratively. People say that they're being objective, but it's not possible. It's very, very hard to be objective. Now, granted, you could be objective in terms of being the third party, just like settling a dispute, You could be objective in trying to analyze this or that, but you have your own viewpoint. You are a subject, not an object. So good luck being objective. I think existentialism does a good job admitting that and saying, look, my existence is what I make of it. Meaning is this abstract concept that I get to define. Everyone can try and define what, the meaning of life is, and I can listen. But in the end, the fact that we haven't come up with a definitive answer is evidence that it is a personal journey. It is a, a very private sort of meaning. And I, I think I might be a little lost, I guess, <laughs> in terms of the meaning of life. I'm not quite sure what to say about it. I fill my days uh, managing projects 
but I don't, I'm not so grandiose as to think that the projects I manage are the meaning of life. You know, as an artist, we would used to, we used to entertain this idea that art could change the world and that, you know, changing collective consciousness was our real goal, which is pretty ambitious and heady and pretentious and overzealous even. But it's a meaning. It's a very clear and deliberate meaning, isn't it? But the people that think that way are hard to trust for me these days. Anyone that claims that they are going to heal the world to solve the world's problems, it's suspect, right? Even when I do it, if I say I know how to address homelessness, I've gotten some pushback from that episode, for instance. Like, Keith, what do you, what do you know? What are you talking about? You think you know how to heal this? And I take the point, you know, I'm just a man who is thinking out loud, I don't understand policy fully. I, I say that I actually want to maybe run for the governor of California, but I say so somewhat tongue-in-cheek, knowing how daunting of a task that is and uh, complicated, let alone the politics and funding and all the rest of it. But in the end, life is really a balancing act of various interests. I'm hungry, but I'm tired. Should I have a snack at midnight? I'm uh, I'm ambitious in my work, but I'm exhausted. Maybe I should take a break. It's the weekend. You know, these kind of thoughts, a lot of them are kind of a zero-sum game. They're mutually exclusive often. I need to send an email, but it's lunchtime. Maybe I can send it after lunch. And then after lunch, maybe I forget. And now I have to prioritize. Do I record this podcast because it's Wednesday? Or do I give myself a break because I've had visitors? And I don't think I always make the right choice. That's why I I do have to give politicians some slack. Life is pretty hard, even when it's on a small scale with low stakes. We all make mistakes constantly. (laughs) And I think it's important that we give ourselves a break. Chalk it up to a life lesson, right? Lessons that we'll continue learning until we die. (sighs) I don't know how much more I want to go on about this, if I'm honest. I think I'm just feeling very... Zen. And maybe that's even too big of a word, but I feel present. I feel very aware as I record this of the passing clouds in my window, the silver sky on this funny Friday. It was raining earlier and now it's sunny, but clouds are drifting quite quickly. And it's lovely. And It's been easier and easier for me to just tap into the moment, to practice recognizing my thoughts as clouds passing, to recognize my emotions as such, to not identify with them specifically, but to see them for what they are and let them be. 
let them dissipate or congeal and acknowledge that this one is stormy and that one is breezy and that's okay that's life right a mixture of all these kind of clouds and thoughts and feelings i think that's what meditation is i don't think it has to be a guided 30 minute practice every morning i think that's a good way into it but the goal is to really integrate it into your daily life and to pause at any moment and especially under duress in moments of strife or tension to pull out from your own head and think I'm upset this is what I'm upset about this is a thought this is an experience it is like that for these reasons it can contort with some of my own will pushed upon it but there are limits to how much I can interact with it I can react I can control my action and I might have some influence from other angles with other agents involved but ultimately this is just a thing this is just a cloud and I can seed it with rain I can diffuse it with hot or cold air currents you know what I mean but in the end it's just a thing that drifts by and I think life is that and it's been dangerous in my life because I think I've always been in touch with this somehow I think some of that has been my edge in the world to have that kind of insight but the reason I haven't really done too much in terms of output or career success or traditional success or whatever, why I'm mostly just a kind of slacker to this day even, unmarried without any sort of official job title that is recognized on LinkedIn or whatever. It's because I do recognize these things as such that they'll be what they'll be and that my personal feelings on the matter aren't the be all and end all that I don't need I don't need to get involved <laughs> do I do I have to be this thing to be happy do I need to prove something to myself or others do I need to get uh, do I need to publish my book? Do I need to direct a film? Do I need to get married and have kids? I mean, what are the, do I need to do these things? And what does it mean to need to do them? Is it courageous to change those things into what I imagine them to be? Is that courage? I think it's certainly serene. I think it's serenity to not do it. But maybe it's foolish. Maybe that's my lack of wisdom. Maybe it is important to enact my sense of agency on the planet into my interpersonal relationships to 
take aim at an industry like cinema and say, I exist here too. I do admire it when people do that, but not always. I actually think it's pretty cringy and embarrassing when some people do it because it's like, who are you? Why do you think that you should be doing this? You have no talent, objectively speaking. <laughs> I, I guess I just find it uh, off-putting when people try hard. And that's too bad for me because our society obviously treasures effort quite a bit. So where does that leave somebody that doesn't see the point of it? I can feel my thoughts kind of transforming my emotional state. I can feel myself getting a little more despondent, a little more regretful and rueful, knowing that I I don't have to accept uh, these kind of justifications for laziness, if you will. I don't necessarily think of my life as that kind of justification, but I can imagine how it could be framed that way. And it's not actually what I want. I would prefer to feel very engaged and inspired, to feel motivated to enact courageously the change I want, to be the change I want to see in the world. I think that's a great quote. But I'm not my own best guru, I think, on that topic. I think I'm, I'm best suited for workaholic type A overachievers that should chill out a bit. I think that's who I benefit the most. That's the uh, yin to my yang and the aura that is most thirsty for the kind of vibe I present. I don't know if that's you, dear listener, or not. But it's funny when I find myself listening to myself because I don't need to hear me. <laughs> I think that's also why I'm feeling a little burnt out on podcasting right now because I am hearing myself talk. And when I don't have like a major, you know, social political issue that I'm thinking of, I just wonder like, do I need to do this? Do I need to put out, put this out in the world for myself? And art is for itself, for the person making it. That is what good art does it's like an expression of itself for the maker first and foremost and so much of like my own uh slowdown productively speaking is that i'm just not sure if i need my own work i'm i don't need to be surrounded by clouds and ocean ripples <laughs> and beautiful sunsets which is so much of what my work is because I, I have it. I'm looking at it right now through my window. You know, like I just, I, I think of it constantly in my mind's eye. These walls are blank. I would like to start filling them. I'm going to leave you now on this feeling of uncertainty and let you also wonder what value there is in your own individual agency and where you want to direct that energy. I like these words. I think that they can get a little ridiculous, but 
they are real to me, subjectively speaking. And I'll continue stealing time here and there for my own meditating. I do encourage you to do the same. I'm looking forward to our next chat in person, whoever you are. And I welcome your engagement with me online. Keith Pictures on Instagram for pictures of the sunset. Keith Thinking on Twitter for those moments I do feel socially active. And Key Thinking, the name of this podcast, on Patreon. If you are inspired at all to give me some support. It is appreciated, as is your time. Thanks for listening, as always. Until next time. Ciao.